The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. With available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Early Edge College Football Show, Week 6 edition. I'm your host, Alan Bell. we got a fantastic show lined up for you today. And I tell you what, let's not waste any time. Before we take a look this week, let's take a look at how we did last week here. Look at it. Tom Fernelli going 2-1. and one. Kansas again paying bills for us here. Chip Patterson with a beautiful 5-1 and one weekend. Now, my man Fetner. Oof. All right. Bringing the start of the show here. Hey, boy. Just letting out uh, a guttural. Hey. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it was a little bit of a rough week. I mean, I stand, outside of that Eastern Michigan game, I stand by all my plays. I think yeah. I think they were they were the right plays. Well, got- I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. One, I like that. Two, all right. Don't worry about it because one, I couldn't even get the screen behind me to work today. All right. And number two, <laughs> I went 0 and eleven a couple of weeks ago in the NFL on Sunday alone. You or or anyone else will never do worse than that. So you're good. <laughs> Like you're Listen, that's impressive. 0 and 11. Say, I mean, going 0 and 11 is just as impressive as going 11 and 0. In exactly. my literally, <laughs> I swear, I said, dude, top, I said the same thing. Like on the show the next day, I was like, go out, everybody, go out and try it. I guarantee you cannot go 0 and 11. I guarantee you can't do it. Top Fernelli, how are we doing, buddy? I'm great. Uh, happy to be back. Uh, I'm happy to continue riding the Jayhawks to another plus week last week, along with my service academy under. It was a very nice Saturday for me. Dude, it really was like, and that's what I love. Okay. One, I do think that at some point Kansas is going to bring you into the locker room to talk to the boys, like, because you've been their number one supporter way before, like the run started, like you were all over this. And then number two, watching that service Academy game, dude, it just made me smile while everyone else who was watching it was like, my God, this is like paint dry. I was like, Nope. I was like, Tom, (laughs) dude, I was like, I literally wrote on Twitter. I was like, I was like, the beautiful Tom Fernelli just nailed everything about this game. I mean, just completely crushed it. So well done on that, sir. Chip Patterson, how we doing, my man? Oh, doing fantastic. And, and I'm sorry. I'm not sorry to hear about that experience that you had, AB, but yeah. I want to know how it feels because now you're coming out approaching betting in a whole new light. Like you've seen the bottom. You're clear. <laughs> You yeah. you rid yourself of all the negative thinking demons that could cloud your judgment. Like you, you've been to the bottom. Now you're back. You've risen like a phoenix from the ashes. It is nothing but clear thinking and winners from you. So I'm I look forward to hear what you've got to say as well. Hey, there we go. Right. I like your attitude, your positivity with it too. Yes. You know, I walk through hell. It's like, you know, like a rookie quarterback coming in and you're fired up and you throw like four interceptions just right out of the gate. Just the worst game that you've ever had. You know what? Can't get worse than that. Right. So the only way we go 
is up. All right, speaking of that, let's get to the storylines that affect the betting lines for today. And Chip, stay right there. I'm going to start with you. All right, look aheads, sandwich spots, injury reports. What do we need to know, man? Yeah, these are just a couple things that I want to turn your attention to. A, a storyline that's going to impact the betting line a little bit, but maybe not as much. A place where you can find some advantages against the market. So you always want to be looking at you know what are the matchups that are coming up. You want to be looking at how the coaching staff might change their approach when it comes to those games that are ahead in the future. You know, like if you're a Wake Forest coach, Dave Clawson, you know that anytime you get the ball, you can probably score against Army, but. I found myself shying away from that overplay because I think about this Wake Forest team that has just played Clemson and Florida State back-to-back. They might want to just heal a little bit. They might want to just make sure that they get out of there a little bit healthy. They are always going to be taking injuries. They're always going to be taking schedule. Where we are in terms of how far you are from the bye week, these are all factors that I think often get overlooked uh, in terms of the market, sometimes get overlooked by some of the models out there. So the, these intangibles about the way that coaches might change their approach based on where we are in the season right here in October, they feel very significant. There we go. There we go. All right, Tom, coming over to you, my man. All right, so you have, is it time to buy back, all right, on surprise teams? You found some surprise teams. What do we think, man? Yeah, I think that we're having a very fun and exciting college football season when you look at the rankings and you see some of the teams that are currently ranked in all the polls right now who are off to starts that nobody really saw coming. Meanwhile, some teams you expected a lot more from have gotten off to bad starts and have fallen out of the rankings altogether. And I'm thinking this might be the week for some of those surprise teams to kind of start fading them and buying back on them as people have begun to take notice on, hey, this team might not be that bad. I'm looking at the market and I've seen a few spots where I think those teams might be getting a little overinflated because of some numbers next to their names that weren't there before. There we go. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. All right. Now, Fetner, coming over to you. All right. So the model, uh, two weeks ago, we saw a lot of trends on totals. Okay. Uh, from last week and then what you're seeing for this coming week. Is there anything that we need to know about? Should we look at a total? Should we look at a spreads, favorites, dogs? You name it, buddy. What do you see? Uh, so we have a decent amount of value on team totals. So when looking at the over-unders, I would use the model more for team totals. Like in the case of uh, Texas Tech this weekend against Oklahoma State, we have Texas Tech scoring 19 compared to 29. So we have value on the under, but the value is there from Texas Tech scoring 10 points less than expected. So I look at that. But this week, it's really hard to go through the games because there are so many injuries that are impacting the games. Malik Cunningham, Dylan Gabriel, Bryce Young, and KJ Jefferson all have injuries that are questionable to play. So I don't know how much to ding them when I go to the model. I'm the one who goes and adjusts them in the model. So I like for Jalen Milrow, I have him at 65% of Bryce Young's uh, stats. So... I, I don't, I don't know what to do there, but I, th I think um, I think Jalen Miller will do well against Texas A&M, but it's just finding the exact percentage to knock off uh, when these backups come in. Yeah, yeah I mean, that, uh, look, first off, I, dude, I, I couldn't do <laughs> a tenth of a tenth of the data that you're inputting to that. But, yeah, man, like, it's difficult, right? And we're going to talk more about that game. 
but you know, just you know, using Alabama, right? And the quarterback position, Texas AM. Obviously, it's a huge game for the SEC West. It's a huge game for both head coaches, uh, not only on the field, off the field as well. Like there are so many tangibles that are going into that one, and, and we'll discuss it uh here in a little bit. All right, so let's get into our best bets for this week. And I want to I, I mentioned I I wanted to mention this before. Let me put the information out there now. So where we sit as a show after last week coming into today, 43 and 33 against the spread, 56.5%. Well done. All right. You guys are doing crushing it, man. That's through five full weeks, college football. So well done on that. All right. So getting to our official plays for the week. First one, Chip coming to you. Duke minus three and a half at Georgia Tech. What are you saying, bro? Number one, number ain't caught up yet. I told y'all on this year program last week that Duke's got a good football team and that you should lay the short number against Virginia. And that was like never a doubt kind of status. Uh, Blue Devils cruise to a win there. Number still ain't caught up yet. I understand that Georgia Tech uh, winning at Pittsburgh is uh, truly remarkable. And by I mean remarkable, like if you look at success rate, if you look at the box score, if you look at everything in the numbers about that game, Pitt played well enough to win. They just turned the ball over a couple times, and Georgia Tech made them pay for those turnovers. On a down-to-down basis, Georgia Tech was not the better team, and I think that this is way too short of a number. Okay, one last factor here. I've talked all year about one of the reasons why I think that Duke has been successful in year one under Mike Elko is that I think he's gotten a really, really good buy-in from the veterans on this team. This was the game that broke Duke last season. Duke played well enough to win against Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech stole a win. And after that, uh, you could just tell that the the spirit, the sideline, the vibes, everything had kind of broken and that we were trending towards the David Cutcliffe era being over. Sneaky, situational revenge game as those same veterans that have bought in are not going to let Georgia Tech steal a win from them again. So give me Duke minus the three and a half against Georgia Tech. Dude, I like that play. Uh, yeah, going off basis of just last year alone. Yeah. I love that one for sure. All right. Uh, Todd Fernelli, coming over to you. Your first play, Virginia Tech, Pittsburgh, under 41 and a half. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, break it down. Yeah, this is, I mean, outside of a service academy under, this is like your dream matchup that you're looking for when it comes to betting an under. Because in the one corner, you've got a Virginia Tech team that cannot score points. Like this, the Hokies offense managed only 10 points last week against a North Carolina defense that rolls out of bed every morning and allows 30 points before it puts both feet on the ground. So <laughs> that's a problem for the Hokies, who offensively have struggled all season. On the other side, in the other corner, you've got Pitt, who won the ACC last season, had a Heisman finalist at quarterback in Kenny Pickett, and in the offseason, their head coach was talking about how happy he was that the offensive coordinator who helped make all that possible was gone and at Nebraska because dang it, he threw the ball too much and it just led to them scoring too many daggum points. You have a coach who does not want his team to score points and he probably could have used a few more points last week, Chip, like you said, when they lost to a Georgia tech team that just fired its coach. So, I don't think Pitt is going to get upset for the second week in a row because, as Chip mentioned, it did outplay Georgia Tech last week. It just kind of got unlucky with turnovers and beat itself. But they're not going to score a whole lot of points in the process simply because they don't want to. And for all of Virginia Tech's offensive problems, defensively, it's still pretty solid. I think this one is going to be ugly. I would be surprised if the Hokies get past 10 again. And I don't think Pitt's going to put up 31. So give me the under 41 and a half. 
All right. So first off, great play, obviously. Second, this show, I want to make this declarative statement now. This show is pro dad gum. We are very pro yeah. dad gum. Yeah. Oh, look at you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Fetner, coming over to you. Now, here's the interesting part. All right. So your first play, you've got Western Kentucky team total over 32 and a half at UTSA. All right. On the early edge Friday show. All right. We rode UTSA against Middle Tennessee State, even being at the game. And UTSA handled their business for us. It's a good football team. But you got Western Kentucky, the team total, over 32 and a half. Sorry, my oh, dog likes it. Moose is on the red show, and he's interrupting right now. He just wants to play. Let me go put him outside real quick. Yeah. All <laughs> right. So, you know what? Uh, while we have a yeah, guest yeah. that just got him. All right. So, back to quick out, bro. <laughs> so if you like service academy unders this is the opposite of that game there's going to be a lot of offense in this game UTSA's defense was all right to begin last year but their last eight games against FBS opponents they've allowed 30 plus points their defensive uh their defense ranks 117th in the country in terms of scoring both these teams love passing the ball Western Kentucky is 11th in passing attempt per game while UTSA is 14th they both both throw the ball over 40 times a game there's not been a huge drop-off from Bailey Zappi to Austin Reed. Their offense is still rolling. They only put up 27 last week against Troy, but Troy is a good defense. I think this game is going to be 50s to 40s. Both teams are going to score a ton. The two games last year between these teams was was 42, was 52 to 46 and 49 to 41. There's going to be a lot of points in this game. Yeah, I can tell you that, man. Like, you know, I, I live about probably 30 minutes from Western Kentucky, maybe 45, like right there, right at the Tennessee-Kentucky line. Bowling Green, shout out. Wonderful, wonderful college town. And two, dude, you're right, UTSA, they not only put up a lot of points, they give up a lot of points as it's well. Really a lot so, of man. offense. Dude, a ton of it. I'm, I'm telling you, I sat there in Murfreesboro last weekend, man, and it was like, it was just a shootout. There was probably 100 people there, but, I mean, it was a shootout, dude. Like, Did you fun. go to gyms? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and came back and hosted the morning show Saturday. I was pretty proud of that. Yeah. Let me, I will say the over under on alarms that I set on my phone, we put it at four and a half. Let me just tell you. That. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. You set it for six 633, six 635, six 39, like yes. all the way down the line. 100%. Like if anyone looked at my alarm clock app on my phone, it's that of a serial killer. I assure you that it's very, very <laughs> odd. All right, Chip, coming back to you, man. Your second play, you've got Oregon State. All right, we've got them at Stanford. You're taking Oregon State first half minus four. Bring it down. If Stanford decides to make a coaching change after this season, if they decide that, you know, we've kind of run our course with David Shaw, the critics are going to point to Stanford's first half as a reason to suggest that the coaching staff is not getting the job done because Stanford over the last three games has been outscored 83 to 24 in the first half. My They've God. got a quarterback in Tanner McKee who they trust. They are trying to, you know, put more pieces around him now that EJ Smith is out for the rest of the season with an injury. But I will say it again in the last three games, Stanford has been outscored 83 to 24 in the first half. This is not a team that gets off to good starts. I think Oregon State's pretty solid, but I love that stat as a reason to take the Beavs minus less than a touchdown in the first half. There we go. There we go. I love it, man. Give me that stat again. What was that? 
Last three games, Stanford has been outscored 83 to 24 in the first half. Ooh, my goodness, man. My goodness. All right. Fernelli, coming back over to you. Iowa, Illinois. At Illinois, under 36. Yeah. And a, you knew the under was coming. Absolutely, man. Under 36 and a half. Break it down, man. What you got? Yeah, I can't remember the stat off the top of my head, but I saw the sports line account tweeted it yesterday or the day before. But there's been like 12 games with a total that's under 36 in the last however many years. And I was been in half of them. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I gave that out. So, yeah, so it's this is going to be the seventh game with in the last five years with a total under 36 points and i was been in four of them yes yes <laughs> that's incredible it's incredible man and the under is cashing more often than the over and i think that trend is going to continue in this game because if we look at these two teams illinois is one of those teams that i mentioned that is off to a much better start than most people realized but what is being hidden is their defense has been so outstanding. And yeah, they put up 34 points against Wisconsin in Madison last week. But until that game, Illinois' offense has not been efficient. It has not been very good. They've had too many turnovers at times, but just from a down-to-down -down basis, they have struggled to move the ball consistently. They've been reliant on a few big runs here and there to keep drives going and a couple play, you know, a couple short passing plays just to keep stuff alive. But against this Iowa defense, I expect the Illinois offense is going to continue struggling moving the ball because I also think one thing that's kind of hidden from Wisconsin in that game last week is while Paul Christ got fired and they have you know since promoted the defensive coordinator, Jim Leonard, the Wisconsin defense hasn't been very good either. And I think Illinois just took advantage of that last week. I think this Iowa defense is much better. And as I said, the Illinois defense is truly one of the best units in the country. It is up there. If you look at regular traditional stats or advanced stats, it's right alongside teams like Georgia and Alabama in nearly every single category. It's better than them in some categories. And going against an Iowa offense that, I mean, not exactly a secret, struggles a lot to score points. I just don't think this is going to be a very high-scoring game in Champaign. I know they're hoping for a packed stadium. It's on a Saturday night. It's probably the biggest home game Illinois has had in a very long time. And I do think Illinois wins this game, but I think the most the thing we could count on the most is the winner of this game probably isn't going to have more than 17 points. So I am taking the under. Taking the under, and you know what? Adding to that statistical nugget. That Fender had. Yeah, I love it, man, for sure. Okay, all right, our next game here. All right, uh, Chip, coming back over to you. You want to talk about You want to talk about an under. Here you go. All right, Auburn at Georgia. Auburn team total under nine and a half. Talk to me. Come on, baby, let's ride it. Let's ride that. Oh, yeah. You, you know, a plainsman is out there just like, like, oh, man, I don't know about this SEC on CBS pick. Why are they putting Auburn and Georgia in the 330 slot? It's like, well, it's the number two team in the daggum country. There's another daggum. Cash that. And look, <laughs> there is a way that we can look at this game and we can have thrills for all four quarters. And it's not having to sweat whether Georgia is going to cover 30. It's whether Auburn's going to even reach double digits. Because nine and a half for Auburn, well, guess what? That That's about like the average that Georgia's given up all season. They're averaging about 10.8 points allowed. They've only allowed four touchdowns across five games all year. 
I mean, it's not historically great. Like last year's group is not going to produce a billion NFL draft picks, but they still are one of the three or four best defenses in the entire country. And so this is what we're going to say. Auburn ain't getting to double digits. Auburn offensively is not even on the same caliber as what we would say is the average team that Georgia has played this year. Auburn has played, Georgia has played better offenses and yet the average on the entire season is right around 10 points. Auburn is a below average offense. And so look, I think full game under is another way that I would like to play this, but I worry that if Auburn like quits that Stetson Bennett will just run it up because Georgia needs to do that after the offense has spun its wheels after two weeks in a row. But then I also could see it being 38 to three. And so every single way that I was wrestling with this full game under, I just came back to the simple starting point. Auburn's not scoring Auburn team total under. I love it. Like, and, and you know, the crazy part about it is this is like, you went through those Georgia numbers, right. Of, you know, you said, you know, not quite historic like last year, but obviously unbelievable like ridiculous and they're coming into the game angry because they kind of messed around the last couple of weeks right so like that's the scary part is that those numbers are real and they feel like they need to be they need to get much better in a hurry like this against a team that they absolutely hate fan base hates there's hatred across both sides yeah i like this play a whole lot all right stay in the sec fetner coming over to you another team total Man of my heart right there. I love t- playing team totals. Um, Vanderbilt, okay? Team total under 22 and a half at home against Ole Miss. What do you say? Yeah, I feel bad going against Barnes Simmons and the boys here, but I Ooh. think 22 and a half is a little, a little too big here. I mean, Ole Miss, going back to last year, they've allowed 21 or less in nine of 10 games. Vanderbilt, was their offense looks much improved. AJ Swan's been pretty impressive. But in his first game against an SEC opponent in Alabama, they put up just three points. He was a little shell-shocked in there. Um, and then you think about it, Vandy has scored 21 or less in their last three games against Ole Miss. And this is by far the best Ole Miss defense compared to those last three games. Give me under 22 and a half here. There we go. There we go. And, uh, yeah, nice little shout-out there to somebody who definitely deserves it. Big fan, all of us are, of his work. All right, Fernelli, coming over to you. Uh, buddy, I'll tell you what. Every one of your picks this week are are just beautiful Tom Fernelli specials. This might be my favorite one. Army <laughs> plus 17 at Wake Forest. What do you got? Yeah, a little refresher course from when these two teams met last year. There were 21 possessions in the game, not including the possessions at the end of each half. Of those 21 possessions... 18 ended in offensive touchdowns. One resulted in a defensive touchdown. Another resulted in a turnover on downs, and there was one punt. The final score was Wake Forest 70, Army 56. In regulation, there was no overtime, and there was no defensive resistance on either side of the ball. I don't expect this game to be all that different. Now, I don't think there's going to be 126 points scored, but I don't think Army is capable of stopping Wake Forest passing attack. But on the flip side, 
Nothing I have seen from Wake Forest suggests to me that they've suddenly learned how to stop an option. They certainly couldn't do it last year when Army rushed for over 400 yards against them. So while I think Wake is going to win this game and should be a large favorite, it is just difficult for me to trust the Demon Deacons and that defense as a three-score favorite against this Army team, especially when if we think back to what you know our core principles are with Service Academy Unders, Maybe Army kind of tries to slow things down a little bit more this year, knowing that it's not going to be able to keep pace with Wake if they play at their tempo. So we could see fewer possessions in this game overall. We could see just as many of the same amount of punts. But again, I just don't think Wake defensively is capable of pulling away from Army by three scores. So give me Army in 17 points. I love it. All right. And, you know, okay. So one, I'm definitely taking the alternate total over 125. We're absolutely <laughs> doing that. But no, two, Chip, it might have been you. I, I think it was you uh, last week on the early edge. You were speaking about Wake Forest and you said they kind of force you into shootouts. Yeah. I think it was, yeah. Like it, it, it goes along with exactly what Thomas said. Refresh us what you were talking about in regards to that. Well, just, I, it's also one of those things where, as I was talking about the schedule and the look at it, that's why I called out Wake Forest. Because it's they've just played Clemson. They've just gone to Tallahassee to beat Florida State. Dave Clawson just wants to get out of this game healthy and just win by any margin. They do lure you into shootouts, but this is a situational play where, like I said, I, I, I jot down on Monday night an initial like first pick, first thought of the entire board. And my first thought was like, oh, Wake Army over 67. You go back, you start doing your research, you start thinking about these alternate angles. Wake was able to run the ball pretty well against Florida state in the second half, just kind of like nurse their lead. I, I could see something similar, which would help Tom because then they don't pull away. So I could yeah. definitely see less possessions. Yeah. That makes complete sense, man. It makes complete sense. All right. Uh, Fetner coming over to you, your last official play here, uh, Buffalo Bowling green oh, over was... 54 and a half. Yeah. So Tom talked about army wake forest being a shootout last year. This game was a shootout between these teams last year. The game total 100 points. So looking at the score, the line's at 54 and a half. Bowling Green's defense ranks 127th out of 131 teams in scoring. They're allowing over 40 points per game. And that includes games against Akron, Eastern Kentucky, and Marshall, not necessarily offensive powerhouses. They haven't played a bunch of SEC teams in their oh, Hold on, hold on. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the Buffalo's defense hasn't been much better. They're 104th in the country. Bob uh, Buffalo's Offense is a lot better this year. Uh, their passing offense, at least, is a lot better this year with Cole Snyder over Kyle Van Trees. When Mac McDonald is healthy for Bowling Green, their offense seems to roll. Give me over 45, 54 and a half. There we go. And Tom, it sounded like you liked this play as well. Oh yeah, I think this is a this is a good play. I'll probably be adding it. I hadn't actually considered it, but as soon as I read it on the sheet, I was like, "Oh wait, I didn't see that." Yes. Yeah, I just jotted down a note. I mean, we can do a race to see who locks it up on Thursday's Cover Three yeah. podcast first. I'm I, gonna, I'm gonna, I, was, I, was confused. I was confused by this line. I saw fifty four and a half after last year's game. These defenses, I was confused with, with that. Then I, I first had to check the weather, see if wind was a factor. Yeah. There's yeah. 10 wins. So is not, there a typhoon that I don't know about? Like what's right? going on? Yeah. Oh, and the thing is, is like the average, you know, players are not going to pick up on this. This is why I love this show and why I love the approach that we take because Buffalo Bowling Green, the reason why the typo stays on the board that long is no one is breaking that no game. Yeah. No one saw it. 
dude, I love it. And I'll say, man, like, you know, it's good when you get like just the pick out and for Nelly immediately is like, oh, yeah, yeah, I love that. <laughs> dude, that was fantastic, man. All right. Last one here. And then we're going to get our big six games for this week. Chip, you've got North Carolina, Miami under 66. What do you got? A little bit of a hunch play here. I just see this incredibly important game. Look, the ACC Atlantic Division um, has the four best teams in the ACC, and then there's a gap uh, between that and the, everyone else. But there has to be a winner from the ACC Coastal here in the final year of division play, and the winner of North Carolina-Miami becomes the early favorite to be able to win the division. So I think both these coaching staffs are going to use that as sort of the narrow focus they're trying to drive home that idea of winning a championship. And I think both coaches are going to end up playing it a little bit conservative. Look, North Carolina's defense, as Tom mentioned, can roll out of bed and give up a whole bunch of points. But Miami's offense is in a bad state right now. They just don't have elite personnel at the wide receiver position. Uh, their running back room has not been awesome and Tyler Van Dyke, I think, is really suffering from the changeover from Rhett Lashley to Josh Gaddis and Mario Cristobal. So I think that Miami defensively is, is strong and, and maybe can do some limiting for Drake May. Uh, but ultimately, I think that it is the conservative approach of both of these coaches that are going to end up taking this game under the total. There we go. Yeah. And, uh, man, Miami, like, I guess it was what, the Texas A&M game? Like, it seems like after that, like, they've just, you know, and that lost. It wasn't good in the Texas A&M game either. It was that conservative approach that had them kicking field goals. They were driving for that game-tying score down eight, and we were live on the Cover 3 podcast, and the chat was like, oh, yeah, Mario's setting them up for a field goal. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to lose by five. Do we know if Van Dyke's starting or Garcia? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, that's another aspect to think about in that game. I assumed Garcia was in the model. So if you see on sports line, you, we see it. You see that we have Garcia starting. That's because I put him in. But I'm still waiting to see for sure. Nice, man. All right. Let's get into the big six games for this week. But before we do, let's take a quick break and hear from one of our partners. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we are back. And I tell you what, you're just talking about kicking the field goal. We're going to kick the door in on our big six for the week. We're going right at it. TCU, all right, minus seven, 17th ranked TCU, minus seven at 19th ranked Kansas. That's right. The Jayhawks ranked 19th in the country, total 67 and a half. And look, buddy, this is your, like you speak about like the mafia when they owned like, you know, different boroughs and their areas. Fernelli, 
You own the Kansas landscape here. Official play, Kansas plus seven. What you got? The dog likes it too. There we go. The dog is with me. See, that's all yeah. I needed to hear. No, again, yeah, we are we are not getting off this Jayhawks trade. The Jayhawks plus seven. The spread is a little too large for the Jayhawks at home. And I talked at the top of the show about some of the buyback on teams. Well, maybe you thought I was talking about Kansas. No, I was talking about TCU. TCU is a team that's coming off of a huge win over Oklahoma, and I think it has inflated their value on the market and the price that they're at. I would guess that before last week's game, TCU would not have been a touchdown favorite in this one based off the way both teams have been playing. That said, I do think the Jayhawks are going to suffer their first loss of the season in this game more often than not because TCU is the most complete team that they've faced to this point in the season. The problem is, while TCU is complete, it is not elite. It is not great. Defensively, this is still a team that has trouble, especially stopping explosive plays. That is not a great combination against a Kansas offense that is incredibly explosive. And on the flip side, last week was Kansas's worst offensive performance of the season by far. Iowa State did a great job of maintaining their gaps and slowing that rushing attack down, and it limited what the Jayhawks could do. But the Jayhawks still won. And for me, when you see a team that's built on offense really struggle to score points and finally still manage to gut out and win a game, that's typically a good sign for that team going forward. So I see this game as being another fun kind of back-and-forth battle. I do expect there to be a lot more points in this one than we saw in Kansas and Iowa State. And I don't see either one of these teams ever really being able to pull too far away from the other. I think TCU is slightly better overall, so I would give them the edge to win here. But I don't think Kansas is going to get beaten by more than one score at home. So I am taking the Jayhawks and the points. Yeah, you're right. Like it was kind of like a uh, kind of a gut check, you know, in that game. And, and Kansas, you know, finds a way to win it. Right. It does it right. Like, and not necessarily by their full strength. Like that's an excellent sign of a well-coached football team. And you've talked about that all year, you know, under Leopold. Now, I will say this, and I agree with you there uh, in terms of, you know, points being scored back and forth, back and forth. TCU last week. They had 50 on Oklahoma in the second quarter. Like, mm-hmm. they were going up against Aaron Judge. Numbers tweeted him saying, who gets to 62 first? Which was a hilarious tweet, by the way. But I'm with you, man. Like, this could be a shootout. And I believe your tag team champion brother there, Chip Patterson, feels the exact same way. He's got an official play in this game over 67 and a half. Yeah, I mean, I know we got the early edge in uh, in five probably coming up here in a little bit, so I'm not going to waste anyone's time. Tom just <laughs> told you this thing's going to be a shootout. It's, <laughs> we're going over 70 for sure. Uh, so real quickly, because I do want to provide some numbers and prove that I did any research whatsoever. <laughs> Every single time TCU's offense snaps the ball, it is averaging 8.3 yards. Every single time Kansas's offense snaps the ball, it is averaging 7.3 yards. Those are among the highest totals in the country in terms of offensive yards per play. Uh, these two teams, I also think that Kansas's defense is sort of its fundamental flaw, and TCU uh, can give up a bunch of points as well. I, I, I think that this is going to be a high-scoring shootout, just as Tom explained in his Kansas play. No one pulls away from anyone, and, uh, and we soar over this total. Yeah, this could be a really fun game, man. I'm excited to see it. Fedor, not an official play, but you like Kansas plus uh, the seven there. Yeah, so I, I went to the model on this one. I I mean, I'm all with Tom. I wanted to make this an official play. I, I love Kansas. I love this Kansas team. We're still adjusting to them. We had them 110th in the country before the season. 
they're still not in our top 25 because we take into account the last couple of years, but they are in the 30s. So they've made quite a move, but they still have room to improve. But then when you think of another aspect in this game, TCU last year, they were 2-9-1 and one against the spread. This year, Kansas and TCU are one of our two of four teams that are still undefeated against the spread. So that's a fun aspect in this game. I think seven's a little too big. It's going to be people will be fired up in Kansas. Give me the Jayhawks with the points. Getting the there points. we go. All right. Our next game here. And they can stay undefeated against the spread that way. Ooh, there we go. That is true. That is true. I like it. All right. Our next game here, Florida State at uh, 14th ranked NC State. NC State, a three and a half point favorite, a total of 50 and a half. We don't have any official plays on it, uh, but Chip, I'll throw it over to you first. NC State minus three and a half. That's your lean. What do you say? Yeah, I've, you know, we've got some intimate relationships with some people that are very passionate and uh, knowledgeable when it comes to Florida State football and the Cover Three podcast. And I got the sense both going into the Wake Forest game and certainly coming out of it that it's just not a, not, not a great, football team right now, especially compared to the fully healthy, fully operational version of Florida State. I think NC State at least arrived in the moment for Clemson. They didn't look too little. They didn't wither. The defense played really well. I just think that ultimately they don't have enough pass catchers and the offensive line, while it's got future NFL players on it, I just don't think they're doing a great job this season. So I look ahead and I think, We've got a big change in the quality of opponent going from Clemson to Florida State. I do think that this is what probably the biggest game of the year to make sure that you don't get the classic football cliche of getting beat twice. And I think that NC State, after you know, arriving uh, in Death Valley and, and looking the part of the second best team in the ACC, proves it with the win right here. Not an official play. Three and a hook seems too many for an offense that it struggles to score points and move the ball sometimes. But uh, I do think NC State wins. Okay. Okay. Now I'll tell you what, we're going to throw it over to you, Tom. Again, not an official play, but you like the other side, not only Florida state, but money line, not even the points just winning outright. What do you got? Yeah, this is vibes. Lots and lots of vibes. I don't really like NC state's vibes right now. And I look at this game, like it's kind of a role reversal of sorts in play here. Whereas there were so many seasons in which Florida state had something special going, made the trip to Raleigh, and lost, destroyed the season. NC State now, not having a special year. It's just coming off last week's loss to Clemson, but it's a top 15 team. It's still competing for the ACC, you know, Atlantic. It still has a shot to get there. It might have an outside shot at a New Year's Six Bowl, even if it doesn't get it. And so here comes Florida State for a little bit of revenge to kind of just let give them a taste of their own medicine. And as far as the actual game matchup is concerned, Chip, you mentioned it. This is an NC State offense right now that I've really don't have much faith in whatsoever. Devin Leary is not performing up to what we expected, but I don't really put it on him as much as I put it on the fact that there really aren't many playmakers on this offense at the moment. The offensive line has not been fantastic. And if you look, this is an offense that has to put together long drives and go down to down, you know, staying successful to score points. There is there's very little explosive play action inside this offense. Florida State, on the other hand, very explosive offense. And I think that this is a team that going against an NC State defense, you put an explosive offense in a game like that, they're always going to be dangerous, even against good defenses, because one missed assignment and bang, they're putting up points on you in a hurry. And I just think that if NC State finds itself in a position where Florida State starts putting points on the board and they've got to dig themselves out of a hole, 
I don't have much faith in the Wolfpack being able to do it. So I think if I'm betting anything here, I'm taking Florida State to win outright because I think it happens just often enough. There we go. All right, now, on the other opposite side, Fetcho, NC State money line. What are you seeing there? Yeah, so I want to give you some gambling trends here. So half a point. I'm ready for those. Yeah, and so half a point to four-point home favorites are 18 and 11 this season, so around 62%. That number usually sits in the 45% range over the last five years. Half a point to four-point home underdogs are 12 and 13 this season, 48%. Over the last five years, those slight home underdogs are covering the spread around 55% of the time. So are we expecting a regression to the mean, or, or are we expecting that trend to continue? I originally saw this game. I was like, I want to go NC State. I mean, I'm a Gator, but I, I, I mean, Tom convinced me. Give me Florida State here. <laughs> I, I trust their offense a lot more. I've watched both teams a decent amount. I don't trust NC State's offense with Devin Leary. They've just looked off. I trust Florida State's offense a lot more in this game. Dude, I want, like, you know how, like, college football teams, you know, they'll have a sign, right? Like, if you're running out of the locker room, like, onto the field. Uh, I want one of those, like Tom convinced me. I want it right there at the front of our entire Nashville office right there. Tom convinced me. There we go. All right. We'll jump into our next game here. We'll speed it up just a touch. We've got 11th ranked Utah, a four and a half point favorite at UCLA, who's 18th ranked and a total of 65. Look, UCLA is getting the job done. They're five and oh, I don't know if anyone is coming to these games, but they're five and oh, like and they're, they're winning. <laughs> Against like decent teams, so we don't have any official plays here. Uh, but we've got three. The I'll tell you how tough this game is. All three of you chose something completely different here. All right, so Fernelli, I'll start with you. You like Utah with the spread? Yeah, you know, I I was really impressed with what I saw from Dorian Thompson Robinson and UCLA on Friday night against Washington. But I'm not fully on board with the Bruins yet because they did have a pretty soft non-conference schedule, and Washington defensively just looked awful in that game. I don't think it was anything special UCLA was doing. It's just Washington was completely out of position. It was not tackling. It's not going to be the case against Utah. Utah is one of the best defenses in the country. And on the other side of the ball, UCLA's defense wasn't exactly covering itself in glory either. Washington was moving the ball on it pretty consistently. And I look at this Utah offense, which is a good offensive line and is physical, and I think they will be able to move the ball on this UCLA defense. So I think Utah is the better team here. I know that they're on the road. It's in the Rose Bowl, but not exactly the greatest home field environment for anybody at the Rose Bowl, if there's anybody even in the stadium, which lately this year there hasn't been. So I'm going to take the Utes. I'm going to lay the points. I am not scared of this. I think the Bruins are good, but I don't think they're as good as Utah. Yeah. All right. Now, Fetner, I'm going to throw it over to you. You see the other side here, UCLA plus four and a half. Yeah, I think Utah is the better team, but give me the points here. Utah just lost their leading receiver, tight end Brent Keithy, with a torn ACL. It seems like their running back, Tavion Thomas, is in the doghouse. He's not getting that many carries. I think that's a – I mean, he, he transferred from Cincinnati. I think he might have an attitude problem. He's in the JUCO levels. I think he's in the doghouse. They didn't really have to be good on offense last week against Oregon State, who turned the ball over four times. They threw four picks. I think Dorian Thompson Robinson's a lot better than what they've seen. I think they, I think UCLA covers, but Utah wins. There we go. All right. Now, Chip, you're going with the hell with it theory over <laughs> 65 and a half here. I like that play. Yeah. Yeah. What do you trust? Right. <laughs> like the one thing that I was initially surprised by was 
UCLA's defense having a pretty strong start against Washington. But, I mean, it, throw it in the jar. <laughs> By the end of the game, Washington had marched right back into the game and put up a bunch of points to turn that what was decidedly going UCLA's way into just an eight-point game on the final margin. So I think that UCLA's defense might be uh, at least half as suspect as I thought it was coming into the season. And I think that on the Utah side, you know, I, it this is a team that for the most part, has done exactly what we've asked Utah to do. This is the first real prove-it moment since falling just short in the swamp at the beginning of the season. So Utah scores because UCLA's defense ain't great. Dorian Thompson-Robinson and Zach Charbonnet are awesome, so they keep scoring too. I I just – it's the to hell with it theory. I I don't know. Touchdowns. It's real, dude. Like that shoulder, that shoulder shrug. <laughs> yeah, like that shoulder shrug that you just did. Like, perfect. You don't have to say any words. You do that, and I, I get it. It makes complete sense, and I feel a hundred percent the exact same way. All right, our next game here, uh, which could kind of be the same, but on the opposite side, we've got third-ranked Ohio State, a twenty-six and a half point favorite at Michigan State. Total of sixty-four. We don't have to spend a lot of time on the game. It's just a massive spread, and we really haven't spoken much about Ohio State on this show, and they're a good football team. We just haven't really like worked them in into their games, right? Uh, so, Chip, I'll throw it back over to you first. Michigan State plus 26 and a half. What do you think? And, so no, and no official plays either. Like These are just leans, yeah. So you're telling me that Michigan State's going to start this game with a 26-point <laughs> lead at home and all they got to do <laughs> is defend a 26-point lead over the course of four quarters of college football. I don't know, man. I hate this game. I wish this game was more competitive. I wish that this game was more of a test. I wish this was more I could learn about Ohio State, a team that I believe is one of the best in the country. But all we're going to learn about is whether Ohio State's bored or not. Like I saw someone start to float the Georgia's just bored theory which means they're going to be really frustrating as they continue to win and are not tested at all until maybe Kentucky and Mississippi State in November. Ohio State is just going to throttle everybody on its schedule, and I think they know that. So I, Michigan State plus 26 and a half, basically on a wouldn't it be hilarious or like there's no possible way that any team should be favored by 26 and a half on the road against another Power 5 opponent like this. But – Man, I don't know. I could, you could tell me anything, and I'd believe it. Yeah, like that's the reason why I wanted to discuss this game here because the, it's just an absurd number, right? But maybe it's not. <laughs> like, Ohio State's really good. Michigan State's really not that good. All right, so this is the first time ever on this show in history in the big six games that we have two people on the exact same team total play. So, Tom, you go first. Fetner, follow him up here. You both lean Ohio State team total over 45 and a half, which I think is a brilliant play in this game. Oh, hell yeah. Michigan State's defense is awful. Like, there's, their pass defense has been terrible. Maryland tore them up in their last game because Maryland's a good passing offense, but Maryland's nothing like what this Ohio State passing offense is going to do. And there's still questions about whether Jackson Smith and Jigba will play in the game. I don't think it matters. There's also questions about Trevion Henderson, the running back who missed last week's game against Rutgers. But that was kind of a pregame issue where I think – I'm guessing what happened was he felt a little tweak, and the coaching staff said, well, the hell with it. It's Rutgers. Who cares? Just sit out. We'll win this game 
game by 50 with or without you. And that's the case. I think he's going to be back this week. And I think that this is a Michigan State secondary that has been absolutely torn apart by everybody it has gone against. It is a Michigan State defensive front that is getting no pressure on any quarterback whatsoever. So that means C.J. Stroud is going to have all day in the pocket to sit there and choose which one of the 55 wide open receivers he wants to throw to. And he'll throw to the one that's going to score the touchdown more often than not. There we go. Fetch out. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Ohio State could choose their number here. I think they could put up 60 in this game. I like over 45 and a half because I think they get to 50. I think, well, CJ Stroud only threw the ball 22 times last week against Rutgers because he didn't have to throw the ball. I mean, if you look at Michigan State's secondary, he's going to pick them apart. I don't think they could stop him. I think they'll be coasting by the time it gets to the third quarter. I think if they needed to, they could put up well above 50 points, but I like over 45 and a half. There we go. There we go. All right. Second to last game here. Tennessee minus three. Eighth ranked Tennessee minus three at 25 ranked, 25th ranked LSU. Total of 63 and a half. So we got the balls of three and a half, a three point favorite on the road in Baton Rouge. No official plays here. Uh, Fetner and Chip, you both feel the same way. So I'll tell you what, Fetner start us off. Chip jump in afterward. You both lean Tennessee minus three. I just trust Tennessee more. I, I just don't trust LSU yet. But then going back to the trends, those home underdogs usually cover at a 55% rate, and they're at 48% right now. So if you expect a regression back to the mean, you'd expect uh, LSU to have the advantage here. I just think Tennessee is the better team. I trust Hendon Hooker a lot more than Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels was great as a freshman at Arizona State, but then he struggled for a bit. He's been really good using his legs this year. I just trust Tennessee's offense more. Yeah, Hendon Hooker. I'm not getting in the way. He's the better quarterback. And uh, I don't know, man. He just might be on one. Like, if you if you want to say that the Heisman Trophy winner often does not come from the top two to three names on the preseason odds board, then Hendon Hooker is the one that's surging. Hendon Hooker is having his Joe Burrow in 2019 opportunity where Burrow, after a hot couple weeks, kind of jumped into the conversation, but it was through SEC play that he surged to the top. So, Hendon Hooker uh, is why I'm backing Tennessee. And you can still get him at good value on DraftKings. I was going through the Heisman odds last week. The two to- two at the top are still C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, even though Bryce Young's dealing with his injury. But I think the top two, if the Heisman were decided right now, would be Hendon Hooker and Blake Corum. There you go. Now, Fornelli, you lean the other way. LSU plus three. Yeah, we're buying back on a team that's getting a whole lot of love early in the season. Listen, I think Tennessee is good. I don't think Tennessee's going undefeated. I don't think Tennessee's winning the SEC. I don't think it's getting to the college football playoff. And I don't think I'm betting Tennessee as a favorite on the road at Tiger Stadium. That just goes against the principles. If I can get LSU as a home dog against the Vols, I'll take LSU as a home dog against the Vols. Yep. 100%, right? And I think this is going to be a game of two halves, right? Like, I think you could see LSU. They don't normally play a lot of 11 a.m. Central games down there. And Tennessee, the fastest-scoring Offense first quarter wise in the country. Like I could see Tennessee scoring early. And I believe LSU, they've only given up seven points in the second half of games this season. Like I could see that coming to a stop in the second half in terms of Tennessee scoring. Like this could be an interesting game. I think it's not an official play for me, but I think I might roll the under in this game. It's it's getting up to, I think, around 64 or what is it? Yeah, 63 and a half. Yeah, man. I could see second half being a lot of clock ticking and not a lot of scoring. All right, our final game here. The big one, Texas A&M at Alabama. Alabama, a 24-point favorite at home, total of 51 and a half. Chip, start with you. 
You like the over here. Yeah, implied score is 38 to 14, and that just doesn't feel right. It feels more like a 42 to 20. Uh, I think, look, Jimbo Fisher got Zach Calzada to move the ball against this Alabama defense last year. Uh, we criticized this offense, and they are down to basically de- just Devin A-Chain or bust, but I do think that Texas a and is going to be able to get into double digits. Then I think that Alabama, with or without Bryce Young in the lineup, easily clears 40. I just... It, it that was my biggest play here again, not an official play, but my lean here is to the over because when I looked at the point spread and the total 38 to 14, based on the way this game has gone between these two coaches since Jimbo arrived, just just feels like we get uh, we get a little bit north of that. Yeah, I feel you on that one for sure. All right, Fidelity, coming over to you, Texas AM team total under 13 and a half. What are you seeing, bud? Just Betting on the Aggies to continue being the Aggies on the offensive side of the ball. Chip, you mentioned it. They're a one-man show on their offense right now. And, like, you know, Haynes King started the season as a starter, lost his job to Max Johnson. Max Johnson is dealing with a thumb injury on his throwing hand, so the Aggies might have to turn back to Haynes King. They're down a top receiver. I don't know who the number one receiver is on this team, if there even is anybody that qualifies in the role. And, you know, if Bryce Young is banged up and not playing and Jalen Monroe is in, Alabama's going to run more. It's going to be lead to fewer possessions. Even if Bryce Young is in, I think they're going to be conservative with him and not having him throw too much to keep him healthy against what is a solid defense. And I think defensively, Alabama is good enough to stop a one-man show on offense. So I just don't think the Aggies are going to do much of anything in this one. No, no I, I'm telling you, I don't either. Like, especially, excuse me, especially you know with their offense, like focused on being conservative. Mm-hmm. Like, I, 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 I do not like that approach whatsoever. I will never, ever understand wanting that approach. Fetner, coming over to you, you lean the under 51 and a half. What do you see, man? Yeah, I talked about quarterback injuries before, and this is one where it's very hard to put in the model because we, we have the quarterback stats just for the starter. We don't really have any stats on Jalen Milrose. So I went ahead and put his stats at 65 to 70% of what Bryce Young would account for. That leads me to being on the under. I think if Haynes King does go instead of Max Johnson, I think Alabama, in basketball, you play a box and one when on the team's best player. I think they could play a box and one Devin A. Chain, just play straight run blitz. Don't let him beat you. I, I mean, Haynes King, I don't think he's going to beat Alabama. He's not going to do much. Give me the under here. There we go. There we go. All right, everybody, grab your paper, grab your pencil. Take a little recap here. It is glorious. Tom Fernelli is on Kansas plus seven. Virginia Tech, Pittsburgh under 41 and a half. Iowa, Illinois under 36 and a half. Army plus 17. Jacob Fetner is on Western Kentucky team total over 32 and a half. Vanderbilt team total under 22 and a half. Buffalo, Bowling Green over 54 and a half. Chip Patterson, Duke minus three and a half. Oregon State first half minus four. TCU, Kansas over 67 and a half. Auburn team total under nine and a half. UNC Miami, the dog likes that one. UNC Miami under 66 and Texas A&M, Alabama over 51 and a half. All right. Quickly, boys, as we always do, give you a minute. First off, thank you guys again so incredibly much. I know how busy you guys are. Thank you so much for joining us each and every week. Give you a minute. Plug what we should be looking at, paying attention to for you guys' work. Tom, go ahead, Chip, follow them up. 
Uh, Cover three podcasts, Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, 11 a.m. Eastern, Saturday nights, usually around 1130-ish, but sometimes earlier, sometimes later, depending on what's going on with the late game. So you can catch us there. You can catch my writing at cbssports.com, as well as my newsletter. You can sign up for it on the website, delivered to your inbox every weekday afternoon. My favorite picks for the night on betting picks. So, yeah, other than that, you know, you can find me on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can find me. I'm everywhere. It's It don't matter. My man is everywhere. I love it. Chip, go ahead, buddy. Yeah, I spend this time for the people. This is number one for the people. We're going under in SMU UCF. Uh, and be, so, you know, you want a little Wednesday night action. Got to give it to you right there. Not an official play, but, you know, that for you. Uh, number two, Tyler Van Dyke is going to be the starting quarterback. They're going to stick with him. The Miami is. And I, again, I, I do not think that his Hurricanes offense is going to be uh, all that great. And then finally, number three. I, again, I, I do not think that. It, what, that was wild. We got two chip batters that's keeping. Yeah, going. let's go. Uh, yeah, and then finally, uh, yeah, listen to the Cover Three podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at chip underscore Patterson. Unless you're an Oklahoma State fan, in which case you can follow me on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. Uh, again, if you want to talk to me and you are an Oklahoma State fan, follow me on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. <laughs> I love it, man. Guys, thank you so much. And Fender, we will get your recap, as we always do, at the beginning of the show next week. So, again, thank you guys so much. Appreciate you tuning in. And we will be live here in about one minute for the Early Edge in five. We will see you then. But until then, everybody, best of luck. Let's cash these tickets. We'll see you next week. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Is a raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.